Welcome to the Not Old Better Show, Smithsonian Associates Interview Series. I'm Paul Vogelsang, and we have a really fantastic show today with one of my favorites, returning guest, Bob Spitz, telling us all about his new revealing Led Zeppelin biography. Yep, that's right, Bob Spitz, the New York Times best-selling author of The Beatles, the biography, has just written a new book about Led Zeppelin. This is a definitive biography of Led Zepp. Bob Spitz will be presenting at Smithsonian Associates Wednesday, January 19th, 2022, and the title of his upcoming presentation at Smithsonian Associates is A Whole Lot of Crazy Love, (laughs) The Led Zeppelin Story. You can find out more details on our website, notold-better.com, or the Smithsonian Associates website, both of which are in our show notes today. But we have Bob Spitz right now, and we are talking about one of my favorite bands, Led Zeppelin. It's been 50 years since Led Zeppelin's legendary rock hit Stairway to Heaven was released. The story of how the virtuosic London sophisticates Jimmy Page and John Paul Jones came together with Midland's Wildman, Robert Plant, and John Bonham to form the legendary rock band Led Zeppelin is one for the rock history books. New York Times best-selling biographer Bob Spitz draws on his own book, Led Zeppelin, the biography, to tell us today about the band's definitive story. This is just going to be an awesome interview. You guys are going to love this. It was one of the most successful and certainly one of the most notorious bands of all time, selling more than 300 million albums worldwide and still selling big time. From the opening notes of their first album in 1969, Led Zeppelin was something different, a collision of grand artistic ambition and brute force of English folk music and African-American blues. Bob Spitz will pull back the curtain today with us on Led Zeppelin's creative process from dress rehearsals to creative breakthroughs. For his book, Bob Spitz conducted more than 150 interviews with friends, colleagues, executives, and even groupies who shared detailed inside accounts of Zeppelin's exploits from who really stole the money at the Drake Hotel robbery to the step-by-step creation of their albums. Again, fantastic. Of course, we're going to talk about Led Zeppelin's music. you got to do that. But this is only part of the legend. Their story is a window into how the 1960s turned into the 70s, of how playing small clubs became playing stadiums, of how innocence became decadence, and how the band came to be. Monday, August 12th, 1968, was a sweltering summer day. The swampy air felt as thick as porridge, especially in London's Chinatown, whose narrow streets and ancient squat buildings seemed to press in on the humidity and intensify the heat. Peter Grant had answered an ad in Melody Maker for a rehearsal room below a record store at 39 Gerard Street, which was no bigger than a large closet, making it hotter still. How the four musicians managed to wedge themselves in there was anyone's guess, what with the wall-to-wall amplifiers and John Bonham's drums. There was a space for the door, and that was it, John Paul Jones recalled. The equipment was ragged, second-rate, the acoustics terrible. For a brief moment, the whole affair seemed ludicrous, doomed. The Midlands contingent hadn't even met John Paul before. 
They'd been introduced somewhat awkwardly only minutes earlier. There was no time to get comfortable, to bond, to feel each other out. How they expected to rehearse a set of songs. I was absolutely convinced that all that was needed was for all of us to get in a room, Jimmy said. He had a sound in his head that he knew would inspire, would make them feel as though they were onto something new and amazing. It was nothing that they'd ever really played before, but how to start? Well, we're all here, Jimmy said. What are we going to play? After some shuffling around and shoulder shrugging, Jimmy suggested the old Johnny Burnett standby train kept a rolling and asked John Paul if he knew it. It's easy, he said, just G to A. Without any more discussion, Jimmy counted it out. Two, three, four. The room just exploded, John Paul recalled. It was like a dam had broken with music surging out. Far too loud, Jimmy thought, but so fantastic. All that power. It just locked together like something that was pretty scary, but it had to be, he said. It turned the song's jaunty rockabout Billy Groove into something fierce and feral, and Robert, at his most intense, sold it with his naked cat howl. It kept moving forward, faster, faster, fiercer, and seamless, as though everyone knew his part and how it knit together. When they'd finished without imploding, everyone broke into laughter. Shit, Jimmy hooted, what was that? Robert had an idea. There was nothing pretty about it. In his view, it was just an unleashing of energy. The sound was so great, he thought. Very, very exciting and very challenging. I could feel that something was happening within myself and to everyone else in the room. It felt like we just found something that we had to be very careful with or we might lose it. John Paul was sold as well. Right, we're on, he knew. This is it. This is going to work. Jimmy Page, perhaps more than anyone, was aware of protecting their interests. The sound they had made was exactly what he'd fantasized for his band. It was there immediately, he said. It was like a thunderbolt, a lightning flash. It was time to close ranks. That, of course, is our guest today, author Bob Spitz, reading from his new book, Led Zeppelin, The Biography. Ann Wilson from Heart said, This is the story of poetry and power, rape and pillage of rock and roll incarnate. It's a great book. Graham Nash from Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young said, Bob Spitz always gets right to the heart of the story, whether it's the story of Dylan, the Beatles, or Julia Child. This story the outrageous story of Led Zeppelin and all its rock and roll craziness is right here in these pages. Please join me today in welcoming to the Not Old Better Show via internet phone, Smithsonian Associate Bob Spitz. Bob Spitz, welcome back to the program. So great to be here again, Paul. It's nice to talk to you, too. We've talked before, and uh, we're going to talk today. Uh, certainly, you are a audience favorite and a Smithsonian favorite. You're going to be presenting at the Smithsonian Associates coming up here on uh, your new book entitled Led Zeppelin, The Biography. And uh, it's a wonderful book. We're going to talk a little bit about the book today. We're going to talk about the band. But I wonder if you'd briefly tell us a little bit about your upcoming presentation and uh, maybe how you're going to use Zoom to keep our audience engaged. 
Well, you know, we're looking for somebody now who's really dynamic to do a Q&A with me. And it's going to be someone fantastic. Uh, we, we just haven't locked it in yet. But, uh, you know, we're going to do a real give and take and really get into the the back and forth about the book and what Zeppelin really represented to people and uh, how they fit into the uh, current atmosphere today, considering uh, some of the behavior that uh, the band engaged in on the road. So it should be a, a pretty uh, a pretty fascinating time that night. Yeah. Oh, I know it's going to be I know it's going to be wonderful. The book again is Led Zeppelin the Biography. I actually have it here in my hand. You've just finished reading a section of it to us. I appreciate it. You and I have talked previously. We talked a little bit about uh, your book about Ronald Reagan and you're you're a very talented writer. You write about many subjects including um a great book, a definitive uh, New York Times bestseller about the history of the Beatles. Um but we got Reagan on the one hand and Led Zeppelin on the other. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, well, yes, yeah. And Julia, yeah. Ch- and Julia Child as well, you know. So uh, try, try to draw a line through them. You know, okay. it's, it's, yeah. actually you can, you can. And I'll tell you, it's really interesting. Um, I, I really set out to write books uh, about people who've done two things. Number one, they're beloved. And number two, they've changed the culture. And, you know, Julia Child changed the culture. Certainly the Beatles did. Ronald Reagan did. And I have to think that Led Zeppelin, in their own way, did that as well. From, you know, the kind of peace and love atmosphere of the 60s, uh, Led Zeppelin dragged everybody into the 70s uh, in a way that was you know, not comfortable for a lot of people. And the music reflected that. So I think that's how you draw a line through my crazy oeuvre of books. <laughs> <laughs> but wonderful. And, and we're, we're glad to have it. I will tell you, why, why this book now? Why Led Zeppelin now? Well, it's the 50th anniversary of Stairway to Heaven and uh, Led Zeppelin mm-hmm. 4, which was probably their, their pivotal album. But I think it's also a time to look back and look at the behavior of bands who were on the road during that time in light of the current culture, especially with the Me Too movement. Mm -hmm. And that was instrumental in my thinking. Uh, I wanted to make sure that um, that people really understood what was going on Mm -hmm. then and how to put it in perspective. Yeah, because you can be a fan of the music and maybe not a fan of the men, perhaps. Maybe that's a way of of kind of putting it. Were you a fan of Led Zeppelin before writing the book, and are you still now? You know, really interesting that you asked me that, because I have 20,000 vinyl albums in my collection at home, (laughs) and I don't have a single single Led Zeppelin album. Oh my gosh! Really interesting because <laughs> yeah, I was yeah. d- during the '70s when they were at their height. I was on the road with Bruce Springsteen, and our paths just didn't cross. So Led Zeppelin's music didn't mean much to me, and in a way, I think that uh, when it was presented to me by my publisher, who really wanted me to write this book, um, he, uh, I thought that I was perfect for it because I was in empty vessel. Uh, and I let them fill me up. I came to this project with no preconceptions whatsoever. And so for two years, I got to, while I was doing the research, I got to 
absorb their music and really absorb it into my skin and interpret it not just as a writer, as their biographer, but I'm a musician. And so it allowed me to really get into the music in a way that I've never done before, you know, really just all Led Zeppelin all the time. And it was a unique experience for me. I, I really felt privileged to be able to do it and came to really appreciate them, really appreciate what they were doing. Yeah, a brilliant bunch of, of guys. I, I've always been a fan, and, and the book it really deepened my connection with them, too, in, in a lot of ways. Again, the book is Led Zeppelin, the biography by Bob Spitz. I watched, as many of us, the streaming doc from the Beatles get back. I, I I really enjoyed in the book your writing about the session recording elements and the Beatles and Led Zeppelin very different for lots and lots of reasons. But I thought it was fascinating that uh, Jimmy Page talked about kind of overdubbing the songs, uh, you know, all the way from the West Coast to the East Coast, he says at one point in the book. The Beatles seemed to be you know, very satisfied, just staying put in their in their studio. And and Led Zeppelin was different. They recorded kind of along the way. It seemed as though it was very chaotic. And I wonder if you comment on that and perhaps the the difference between those two bands, because it was really a different way of doing things. Sure. Absolutely. You've hit it right on the nose. The, the Beatles, they recorded it at Road. They made all their albums there. And so mm -hmm. uh, they went in very workmanlike. Uh, they worked together in collaboration in the studio. Uh, they were a, a, a four-headed band, you know. It, it wasn't just one person. Mm -hmm. Everybody contributed. Not that way with, with Led Zeppelin. Led Zeppelin was more of a touring band, they were always on the road. Peter Grant, their manager, had them working around the clock. And so if they wanted to record, uh, it, it was catch as catch can. So if they were in Washington State for a few gigs, they recorded in a studio there. If they were in Memphis, they recorded there. In L.A., in, in the U.K., uh, wherever they could. And... Um, and it was different. Yes, you're right. The process was different. Uh, Jimmy Page, as far as I can tell, he's not a songwriter. Jimmy Page writes riffs and he brings riffs into the uh, studio and kind of embroiders them together. So there's a lot of chord changes. There's a lot of rhythm changes because they don't always fit together. And that made it very difficult for Robert Plant to write lyrics really on the fly because uh, Jimmy, Jimmy was kind of a, a, a workhorse in the studio and wanted to get the guys on the stick. Uh, and that meant them all coming together. But uh, And then, as you mentioned, Jimmy would take the album away and would overdub, maybe put, you know, six different guitar parts on, uh, remaster it uh, half a dozen times in different studios so that there were different sounds on the records. And that's why some of their music sounds, you know, patchy, but uh, because it was aggressive and loud um, and, you know, thumping, you, you didn't always, you know, you, you could appreciate 
some of that herky-jerky movement to the way they recorded. So very different from the Beatles. Um, another thing is with the Beatles, George Martin really kind of controlled their their sessions. He 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 was like the overlord on it and and kept things humming beautifully. Led Zeppelin didn't have somebody like that. Jimmy produced the albums and um you know they had they had engineers in different places but it was all Jimmy's doing so they didn't have really a a a father figure there to keep everything under control really different and and the sound is different from the Beatles to Led Zeppelin the Beatles have a real studio sound to their work and I think Paul I've just given you the long answer <laughs> no that's the great answer that's wonderful I I appreciate it hearing all that cuz I I'm a fan of both bands and and Certainly, you know, very distinct sounds, and it's fascinating to kind of hear the process because you could tell that um, the production of the Beatles was precise, and I suppose that's kind of where McCartney and George Martin were, and Jimmy Page was just, he really wanted to recreate this this concert sound that they just did so well and they brought about and that was that was just I thought that was a fascinating part of the book we're with Bob Spitz Bob Spitz is the author of the new book Led Zeppelin the biography Bob Spitz will be appearing at Smithsonian Associates coming up here Wednesday January 19th we have Bob Spitz today we're going to put links up to where you can find out more information about the Smithsonian Associates presentation as well as Bob Spitz's new book, Led Zeppelin, The Biography, which is excellent. Can't recommend it enough. A great holiday book for people to just enjoy as they've got a little uh, time to spend listening to some music and reading a great book. You know, Bob, I I loved all the photos in the book, and I I want to talk to you a little bit about some of the antics of Led Zeppelin. Um, And I I want to begin with this, this great shot of the Led Zeppelin Boeing 720, they refer to it as the Starship. And uh, I imagine there weren't a bunch of bands with planes, you know, but, you know, Led Zeppelin had one. And um, I wonder if you'd just tell us that story, maybe whatever happened to that plane and, and uh, where where is it now? Oh, you know, it's still in use. I mean, Elton is it? John used it for, yeah, Elton uh, John used it for a number of years, and then the Stones used it for a number of years, and they just changed the name on the plane. But <laughs> Led Zeppelin was Led Zeppelin was one of the first bands to have their own plane, and uh, very early on, their manager realized that it was costing them a fortune to uh, fly uh, if they had their own jet. They could uh, come and go as they pleased, and it didn't cost them that much more. So it was outfitted in luxurious style. I mean, <laughs> there was a bedroom, there was a fake fireplace, uh, there was a Hammond organ that John Paul Jones uh, played at at the bar. It was stocked with only the best champagnes and uh, filet mignon and caviar. Uh, those those boys flew in style, Paul. They really <laughs> did. They they did it up. And um, and and I have to think that in the long run, it really calmed them down because they didn't have to rush through airports. They could uh, take their time getting from gig to gig, and they were worked to the bone. So I think the plane really helped them out. 
Was this Peter Grant's kind of doing? It was. And Peter Grant was, you know, mm-hmm. he was an unusual manager. He changed the way the band yeah. flew, of course. But Peter also changed the way the bands performed in concert. Uh, up until the time of Led Zeppelin, the bands would split with the promoters at concerts 60-40 uh, in percentages. And Peter Grant decided that, you know, you could just say Led Zeppelin was going to be at, say, Madison Square Garden on the radio once. Uh, what did he need a promoter for? So he changed the he changed the percentages to 90 percent for the band, 10 percent for the uh, promoter. And that became an industry standard. It really knocked the wind out of the promoters in the United States. He he was a kind of a larger. I, I was interested to see the photographs of him. He was kind of a larger than life guy. Uh, probably lots of myths surrounding him. I wonder if you talk a little bit about the myths versus reality of the band. Maybe share a couple of those stories because there was a there was a dark side as you you kind of referred to earlier, and the band had a crazy uh, you know kind of. Um, hedonistic uh, you know accoutrements in the in the jet in the in the starship right then there's the drake hotel incident so maybe tell us some of those stories because there, there's a lot of just fascinating things but there's a lot of myths out there too about the band well i'll tell you it all began with peter grant their manager peter was uh mm. peter was a real english uh england villain he he grew up with the cray <laughs> the cray brothers uh, who were murderers. Uh, wow. And uh, Peter was kind of a thug and instilled in the band a, a kind of you can do anything you want sensibility. So uh, the band believed that they were the golden gods that, uh, you know, the the journalist pinned on them and they behaved uh, in accordance with that. So. Uh, yes, they um, they lived to excess. There was a more than healthy groupie scene. The behavior was terrible. And look, let's call it what it was. Uh, my wife made it clear to me when I wrote this book that I couldn't refer to those groupies as young women because they were girls. They were they were fourteen and thirteen years old, uh, and and they were out with. 25-year-old men who should have known better. Um, So some of the behavior was really um, uh, off the charts. And they they did things like throw pianos and TVs out of the windows of hotels uh, just for the fun. Um, Crazy behavior. And and I'll tell you that a lot of it had to do with the fact that when you're on the road so much, uh, you will live in a bubble, and at a certain point, you don't really know where you are anymore, and nothing makes sense. I've been there. I'll tell you, I, I, I don't condone it, but I understand where it comes from. And Led Zeppelin just took it to uh, a degree that of behavior that we had never seen before. Yeah, Peter Grant, you mentioned the Cray, Ronnie and Reggie Cray, and, and those guys were thugs. And, and he, oh, yeah. he, he probably, Peter... He was kind of needed in a lot of ways to just make sure and, uh, you know, take control and institute a 90-10 kind of split because that was just unheard of. But some of the stuff was just thug-like behavior and, and bad all around. Yep, exactly. And, and of course, you know, then drugs got involved to a degree that we had never seen before. 
during the 60s, uh, during the peace and love era, most of it was just, you know, it was quiet because it was marijuana. But Led Zeppelin performed in the era of cocaine, and their music reflected that, and their behavior reflected that. And uh, you have to take that into consideration when you read uh, my book about Led Zeppelin, because it, it's one of the influences mm-hmm. of the band. Yeah, and then there's the music, which is <laughs> um, yes, <laughs> yeah, which, which is special. And so, talk a little bit about the music too, because these guys deserve a lot of credit for that. And in, in fact, they drove stadium rock, and 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 they took us from the '60s, kind of that peace love era, into a harder edged version of of the 70s certainly so maybe tell us what what was it what, what did we all love about that music well first of all you know in the 60s that was a post-war band uh, those were post-war bands post-world war ii led zeppelin was a post-war band too but post-vietnam war and so you hear all the aggression in the music you hear you, you hear the end of the 60s and the beginning of the aggressive 70s and the music reflects it to a T. It was loud. It was boisterous. You didn't just hear it. You felt it. It coursed through you. And one of the things that I was really privileged to do with this book was to understand how they recorded it. I mean, in the book, you're taken through the writing sessions. You're there with them at the rehearsals. And you're also there when they recorded all of this music so that you know where it comes from for the first time. And I I think it was really so instrumental compared to other books written about Led Zeppelin that you, you, you feel it with them. You know, you're there with them for the ride along the way. And and that music is, is special. It's, you know, it, it took me a long time to understand it. Uh, because I had to give myself over to it and to feel it as well. And uh, Jimmy had Jimmy Page had this unique sound in his head. Uh, it changed everything, and it, it was the sound of the '70s, not the sound of the '60s. And and he brought that into the fore. And then, of course, bands copied it, like Black Sabbath and Rush and all the other bands that, that were Motley Crue that were born of it. So Led Zeppelin, that, that's another reason I wanted to look at them in this book, because I thought the uh, it, it really said something about the culture in the world at the time and how it was changing. The music really reflected it. Yeah, you just do this wonderful job talking about that. And, um, you know, there are a couple of sides to, to all of us, and... Um... And the, but the music just just jumps out. The book is so well researched, Bob Spitz. Sixty pages of notes with attribution to interviews that you conducted. I mean, just really impressive. Mm. It seemed like you just interviewed as many people as, as you just possibly could come across. And so I wonder, what did you learn uh, about the band that impressed you the most from a musical perspective? Well, how hard they worked. I mean. I had been on the road with artists before. You know, I was, I managed Bruce Springsteen. I was with Elton John for a couple of years. But I never saw a band put to work this hard that Led Zeppelin was. They were really flung out there in front of 50,000 people a night and played every night. I mean, it just seemed like they never stopped. They were always on the road. I was really impressed with their metal, how they, uh, 
how they kept at it and worked so hard and uh, and the extent of their musicianship, which I never really appreciated before. I mean, John Bonham is an incredible drummer. I've never, I, you know, I, I had to get somebody like Carmine Apice, who was the drummer of Vanilla Fudge, to sit with me and explain what he was doing. And with Jimmy Page, Jeff Beck explained it to me. Uh, so, and Mark Knopfler, uh, mm. from Dire Straits. So I, I was really incredible sources, <laughs> great sources. And it, and it really, yeah. It, yeah. it laid it out there for me and it really helped me interpret it so that I could bring it to, to the reader and, and, and make them feel that they were right there and, un, and was understanding it as well. Well, as I say, Bob Spitz, the the book is just excellent. Um, You'll be at the Smithsonian Associates coming up Wednesday, January 19th. Title of Bob Spitz's presentation at Smithsonian Associates is A Whole Lot of Crazy Love, the Led Zeppelin Story. Uh, This is just an amazing uh, book and uh, discussion, and uh, the curtain will be pulled back on Led Zeppelin's creative process and and everything else so bob spitz thanks so much for your time again great to talk to you we we wish you the best for the holidays and uh hope uh everything is good with you and yours and we will be talking to you again i'm sure but thanks for your generous time today especially for reading for us today too that was that was wonderful thank you paul always a pleasure to talk to you really enjoyed it thank you my thanks to new york times best-selling author bob spitz for his generous time today Bob Spitz will be presenting at Smithsonian Associates Wednesday, January 19th, and the title of his upcoming presentation is A Whole Lot of Crazy Love, The Led Zeppelin Story. You can find more details on our website, notold-better.com, or the Smithsonian Associates website, both of which are in our show notes today. My thanks to the Smithsonian team for all they do to support the show. My thanks to you, my wonderful Smithsonian Associates audience, Here on the Not Old Better Show, please be safe, be well, get the vaccine booster right now. And let's talk about better, the Not Old Better Show, Smithsonian Associates interview series. Thanks, everybody. 